Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Network listeners, this is Bruce Nealand, host of Pharmacy Crossroads, with a shout out to Medela Springs Healthcare. This remarkable new company has developed some unique, professionally recommended OTC products, products you can stock and recommend with confidence. Check them out at medellasprings.com. That's Medella. M-E-D-E-L-L-A, medellasprings.com. Thank you. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, what an incredible time to be in the profession of pharmacy. If you're a pharmacist and you are burnt out, if you are in community retail and you're feeling like you're struggling, if you are a community pharmacy owner and you are frustrated with uh, your reimbursement situation, there's a, there's a special opportunity to listen in today to two people that I am very proud to have on as guests who really understand the, the history of where we were, how we got here, and where we are going. And there's a tidal wave of attention coming from our Senate. There's a tidal wave of attention coming from Congress. And I am extremely excited and proud to welcome back Representative Congressman Buddy Carter from the great state of Georgia. Buddy, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, you're right, these are exciting times. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to make clear that two things. First of all, this didn't just happen by chance. It didn't all just happen in the last few weeks. This is a this is the culmination, if you will, of a lot of work. And that's one thing I want to make clear. But the second thing is that, yeah, I'd, I'd love to take credit for all of it, but truthfully, it's the grassroots advocacy of our members, of, of pharmacists who have made this possible. Going out, making sure they're educating members of Congress, letting them know just what impact the, the PBMs are having on our practices, and, and not only on our practices, but on the patients and, and how this is impacting patient care. It's because of our of the advocacy of our members that we've been able to get to the point that we're at now. We're a long ways from over, but we've made some tremendous progress in the last couple of weeks and last month. Thank you, buddy. And you've been part of this and we're so proud of you uh, to represent as a pharmacy owner, a pharmacist and someone in Congress that speaks our language and understands when they're having uh, the wool, at least the, the attempt to have the wool pulled over your eyes by uh, lobbyists that that are uh, that are paid to do what they're paid to do, and we understand. I, I before we get 
Before we go into this, there's a lot to talk about and unpack. I want to introduce Matt Seller, very special guest from the National Community Pharmacist Association. We have been fans of the NCPA ever since I entered pharmacy in 2004. And talk about just being a steady drum of attention and advocacy for the community pharmacy, the leading organization in our nation that fights for our community pharmacists, that covers so many of the sectors of our nation that are in pharmacy desert situations where the only healthcare provider for miles away is the independently owned community pharmacy. Matt, I am really um, proud to have you here. Well, thanks, Todd. That's a very kind introduction. And, you know, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about PBM issues and how PBM anti-competitive activities have negatively impacted independent pharmacies and their patients. You know, I've been at NCPA now about 13 months, and the amount of work that I uh, have seen over the last, you know, probably 11 months of that 13 months um, in, in getting to where we're at today has been incredible. But I think that was all, as Buddy mentioned, uh, built on great work by our advocacy team uh, before I ever got here. Um, you know, Carrie LaViolette, uh, Ann Cassidy, Rhonda Hauser, and their teams have just been on this issue or on these issues for years and years and years and never giving up. And I think that's why now we're finally having the regulators, um, especially the FTC and CMS, start to listen to these issues more closely and actually take action. So buddy, it's it's 1980 something. We, uh, we have the PBMs doing what they were designed to do, formulary management, uh, administrative work, uh, really it made sense. And, and pharmacies appreciated the services that they were doing. Pharmacies didn't have time, regardless of it being a national chain or even a small community pharmacy. They just didn't have the time to do some of that stuff. The relationships that the PBMs form made sense. Then all of a sudden, I don't know when we can put our finger on it, late 90s, early 2000s, this beast just transformed into something that it was never, ever intended to be in delivering um, very little value to the healthcare um, um, ecosystem in comparison to the profit that they were generating. And now it's just completely on fire and out of control. So that's why we're here. We know what's, we know what's going on because we're insiders. Sometimes the complexity of the details has to be, you have to sit down with a contract and you have to sit there with a microscope and really analyze what has been proposed to a group of pharmacists that are owners of pharmacies and they're forced to sign something in order to do business, in order to get coverage and in order to get care for their patients. And it's all mixed up. It's never, it's not what it's supposed to be. So I want you to give us kind of an update as to where we are right now. And I also want you to give a call out to our listeners, every single pharmacist and pharmacy technician that's listening to this right now, you are also held accountable and responsible to help us push legislation as well as um, information and education, not only to our public, but to your existing uh, congressmen and Congress people um, in your state so that they can be educated and understanding. But buddy, I wanna turn this over to you for, for you to give us an update. Well, first of all, thank you for your description of the way that PBMs have evolved over the years. I think it was very accurate. I can remember, I'm old enough to remember, I actually started practicing pharmacy in 1980 and I can remember the 
the beginning of, of the PBMs and, and what they were doing. They were simply processors. I mean, that, that's all they did. And they served a good role and, and served a good purpose. And it was a necessary purpose. But somewhere along the line, as you described, it evolved into something it was never intended to be and something now that I would submit is the primary reason for high prescription drug crisis. And, and, and it is the solution to doing something about high prescription drug prices, if we can break up this vertical integration that exists now and this middleman. You know, there was a study done just recently by the Berkeley Research Group. Very important study because it pointed out that only 37% of the price of a pharmacy, of a drug, of a, of a prescription drug goes to the pharmaceutical manufacturer. Only 37% of the price of a prescription drug goes to the pharmaceutical manufacturer. That begs the question, where does the other 63% go to? Well, it goes to the middleman. It goes to the PBM. And that, that in itself is the problem right now. The rebates, the spread pricing, all of these deceptive and unfair practices that these PBMs engage in is what has led to the, to the increase and to the exorbitant prescription drug costs that we're experiencing today. And, and, you know, let me just preface this by saying that I'm not opposed to anybody making money. We, we're a capitalistic society, exactly. and I get that sure. and I understand that. However, I would ask the question, what value are PBMs bringing to healthcare? They're not bringing any value whatsoever to healthcare. Now, you can make the argument, first of all, that the pharmaceutical manufacturers do need to do a better job with their pricing. I agree with that. However, at least they are putting money into research and development. At least they are putting money back into healthcare. PBMs are not putting money into healthcare at all. They're only taking profits, and they're certainly not passing any of the, of the, of the savings of the rebates onto the patient and especially not to the pharmacy. We all know that. And what is it resulting in? As you pointed out, uh, as was pointed out earlier, you know, we're looking at the, the possibility now of having pharmacy deserts. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professional in America. 95% of all Americans live within five miles of the pharmacy. The most accessible healthcare professional in America. I would submit to you, had it not been for pharmacists and the profession of pharmacy, we would have never been able to handle this pandemic as well as we have. Yep. The outstanding job that the pharmacists have done during this pandemic with testing, with vaccinations, with, with counseling, that has helped our country come out of this pandemic. And, and you know, that's a whole nother area. But at the same time, it just goes to show you, if we continue on the path where we are, where I believe it's like 4% of all independent retail pharmacies are closing every year, then we're going to lose accessibility to healthcare, and that's going to impact patients. But what happened along the way with PBMs is that all of a sudden they became formulary managers, and, and, and that's okay to a certain extent too. But when you started having the vertical integration, when you started having the insurance company buying the PBM, which bought the pharmacy, so now you've got three PBMs controlling 80% of the PBM market. You've got the insurance company that owns the PBM, that owns the pharmacy, steering patients to their pharmacy, to their PBM. And then you've got, you've got these giant corporations like this, and 
you know, I, I'm a small businessman, but at the same time, I, I, I get it. And there is a role for large businesses. But when you have this kind of vertical integration, it's like squeezing a balloon. Because if, you, if you're able to control a cost in one area, it just comes out somewhere else. We came very close during the Trump administration to doing away with DIR fees. And I'm talking about almost to the, to the day, we thought we had it. We thought that they were gonna be discontinued by the administration. However, the PBMs were able to get to the administration and truthfully tell them that if you do this, if you take away these profits, it's gonna cause insurance premiums to increase. And you know, truthfully, that, that was true because the insurance company owns the PBM. This is a, a large corporation that's traded on the stock exchange. They are not going to let their revenues go down because if their revenues go down, their, their stock price goes down. So what happens is that they're going to make it up somewhere else. And look, we've got DRR fees under control. They're going to end in January of 2024. However, you might as well get ready right now because I can assure you those PBMs are going to make it up somewhere else. They're going to come out with something else to replace DIR fees. May not be as egregious or as 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 obvious in as as DIR fees are. There will be something they're going to make it up for. So that's what we that's the situation that we've got. And you know, I became a member of Congress seven and a half years ago. The first thing I did, I set out one of my primary goals as a member of Congress was to control, do something about high prescription costs. I was the one on the other side of the counter who had to tell the senior citizen that their medication had gone up and watch them make a decision between buying groceries and buying their medicine. I was the one who had to tell the mother that your child's antibiotic is, or your child's prescription medication is, is this much and watch her in tears as she was calling family members to try to get the money to be able to pay for that medication for her child. I was on that side of the counter and I was the one having to deliver that message. So when I got to Congress, it was my goal to do something about this. I knew where the problem was and I still know where the problem is. That's why I set out and I went to the FTC and I said, you know, y'all need to look at this. Please, can you do a study? Well, seven and a half years later, finally, we have convinced them to do a study and they are doing a study. It's going to take a while. They've told us, you know, don't expect anything for probably a year and a half, maybe five years, but there will be progress along the way. As they discover more and more, there'll be changes made. They won't wait until just a final report. There'll be changes made along the way. So this is just outstanding news. And, and I just can't thank um, Administrator Khan and, and the other commissioners on the FTC for taking this up. And I'm excited about it. I think it's going to lead to a lot of... Um, transparency that we need. We know we need that transparency within the drug pricing chain. That's what's needed. We also need to, you know, I'm asked quite often because I'm a member of the GOP Doctors Caucus. You know, um, when I first got to Congress seven and a half years ago, they had not had a pharmacist in Congress for decades. And I kind of had to elbow my way into the Doctors Caucus, but I can assure you I'm in like Flint now. And I sit there and they I, I just sit there and, and let them sing off the song sheet because when we start talking about prescription drug prices, I've been able to, along with our members, along with members of, of the pharmacy profession, we've been able to educate them. 
and they just start right in. I'll tell you where the problem is. It's with the middlemen. It's with those PBMs. That's what we need to control. And I just sit back and just smile because we, we, we've gotten our message. We need to continue on because we've got a lot of new members in Congress. They need to be educated too. That's one thing that um, if I've dropped the ball on anything, I may have dropped it on the fact that I felt like, okay, I've got everybody educated and all of a sudden we got new members in. Well, we got to continue to educate them as well. But again, as I said earlier, you know, the advocacy of our members, that's the key. When I have people come up to me because, you know, we're a citizen legislature. I mean, we've got, we've got um, uh, preachers in Congress. We've got insurance agents. We've got um, uh, almond grove farmers. We, you know, we've got everything, way too many lawyers. But I have someone come up to me all the time, a member of Congress, and I didn't know you were a pharmacist. I had someone, a pharmacist from my district called me and said, there's a letter I need to get on with you. So have your office call me. Or they'll come up to me and they'll say, I didn't know you were a pharmacist. One of my constituents, he called me and said that I needed to get on some legislation you've got. And I need, I'm going to have my staff call your staff right now to see if we can get on it for you. That's what makes a difference. Thank you. Um, and that is a, a beautiful way to set the stage of how intimate community pharmacy is with its community because they've been part of the community. They've grown up in those communities. They've built business in those communities. It doesn't get more heart driven than the 19,400 plus you know, community pharmacies that are out there. Matt, would you give us an overview of where we're at today from the perspective of the NCPA? as well as some of the call-outs uh, to our listeners of how they can help to continue to push all of the proposed legislation that has come about, almost like things have finally caught fire after the NCPA and Buddy Carter and Arkansas and all of the states that have had Supreme Court step in to make some uh, decisions based on specific state issues. And that's all cultivated, it's all mixed together to bring us today. It's hotter than it's ever been. And PBM reform, I can finally say it's going to happen. It's happening. It's just going to take some time, like Buddy said. Just give us a, uh, an overview of, of the NCPA, where, we are, where we're at today. Sure. Thank you. Um, I would start at the state level. So I think we are seeing a lot of really good reforms taking place at the state level. And that all primarily has stemmed from the Supreme Court decision in Rutledge. That's Arkansas's case uh, that they took to the Supreme Court where PCMA was challenging Arkansas's uh, PBM reform legislation. And you know, with that decision, we've seen other cases in North Dakota and in the Western District of Oklahoma look at the, the, uh, similar laws and really have similar findings to what the Supreme Court did in terms of ERISA preemption, and then those courts have also addressed Part D preemption, and so you know, looking at all of that or all of those uh, legal cases, I think states now really feel free to uh, regulate PBMs, especially under ERISA, without the fear of preemption. And so, I think there's a lot of work being done there. I think we're seeing um, some new bills come up being proposed. Uh, Senator Grassley uh, has a bill with Cantwell that really looks at um, bipartisan uh, legislation to combat the rising costs of prescriptions and provide more transparency. And I think uh, both you and Congressman Carter um, touched on the question of transparency. 
And so with the new CMS rule on uh, redefining uh, the, you know, the DIR issue, we're going to see a lot more transparency in how uh, PBMs are assessing fees. And so I think it's going to disincentivize the PBMs from using DIR in a retroactive way um, in the way that they've done in the past. And so we're seeing that working, work being done uh, with CMS and then transition over to the FTC. The FTC has now within the last, I guess, two weeks uh, announced the 6B study, which we've talked about. And then yesterday they adopted a policy to look into uh, the costs associated with um, the, the scheme around formulary uh, placement and reimbursement from manufacturers to, to the PBMs. So my question is, we're now, we're, we're now all knowing that, that finally things are, are moving at the federal level. The state levels have been uh, working at this, uh, as you've mentioned, Matt, through many of the Supreme Court decisions. The Pharmacy Benefit Manager Transparency Act of 2022 um, would ban that deceptive unfair pricing scheme and prohibit clawbacks of payments made to pharmacies um, and, and, and require PBMs to report to the FTC how much money they make through spread pricing. It also kind of touches on the rebate scheme that is also always changing and undefined. Can you kind of touch on that and, and, and how, once again, this becomes a piece of our puzzle in order to get fair practice within the business of pharmacy? Are you asking me to touch on the rebate aspect of it or? Yes, just the overview of the, um, of the Pharmacy Benefit Manager of Transparency Act of 2022. Yeah, sure. So the, the legislation talks about um, prohibiting arbitrary or unfair deceptive practices where the PBMs engage in spread pricing, um, both arbitrarily and unfairly um, reducing or clawing back uh, reimbursement to pharmacies and unfairly charging pharmacies more to offset sort of federal reimbursement changes. Um, it also provides um, exceptions to liability for PBMs um, to pass along 100% of the rebates to health plans um, or payers and fully disclose prescription drug uh, rebates, costs, prices, you know, reimbursements, and other types of fees uh, to health plans and payers and pharmacies. Um, it requires the PBMs to report the amount of money they obtain from spread pricing, uh, pharmacy fees and clawbacks, and to report any differences in PBMs reimbursement rates or fees that PBMs charge affiliated pharmacies. Um, and then it also authorizes the FDC and state AGs to enforce the legislation and to hold the bad actors accountable. How does that, Matt, play into some of what the what the um, states have come up with in order to build a collective case so that we can make sure that we're plugging the holes, just like Buddy just said, he, he, he made an absolute accurate statement. The, the PBMs do not want to lose where they're at today, and they've 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 accumulated through uh, strategy through contracting, um, a way to generate money indirectly um, and, and in ways that it's very hard to understand. Um, and, 
And now when I see the win at the state level, especially with the Supreme Court cases being coupled with some of the legislation that's coming at the federal level, what can we come up with as a way to once this is established, and I think the NCPA obviously will be a part of this, a governance to assure that the laws that are in place are in fact um, being held up. And my, my vote, if I had a vote, would be from a technological perspective, allowing the pharmacy management systems to be processing the contracts and then automating any discrepancies and reporting those discrepancies through data reporting back to the FTC. But what is your thought around that? Well, I think with this bill, and even really before this bill, you know, the FTC and the state AGs are really in a great position to um, enforce existing regulations that are already on the books, and then any of the new future um, proposals. And we're seeing some really good work already. If you look to Arkansas and Attorney General Rotledge in a case that she filed last month around insulin pricing, that is a really good and solid blueprint for trying to address some of these issues. And, you know, I personally can't speak to whether there's a technological solution to this, but there certainly is a legal solution to this, provided there's a willingness to take on these big organizations. And I understand how daunting of a task that might be given the vertical consolidation and the limited resources that state AGs have and the FTC has to uh, put towards these efforts. I mean, when you think about state AGs, they're getting tens of thousands of complaints a year on various issues. And, you know, drug pricing is just one of them. But it's an issue that clearly is impacting a number of uh, many people uh, within our communities. And so I think you're going to see more AGs uh, take a stronger look at this. I mean, we've seen great work already in Ohio and, and um, Kentucky. And so I'm hoping that more AGs will step up and, you know, maybe work with the FTC a little bit more, uh, especially during the 6B study, to really bring a lot more transparency and shed more light on these PBM practices. Buddy, right, I wanna, can I just interject? Yeah, I want to come to you, buddy, and really ask you to how to unpack it because you see it from a more microscopic level at the state level and how that impacts uh, state care. So I, I kind of want, want you to give your insights. Well, I want to thank Matt for bringing up Rutledge versus PCMA. That was a landmark case in, in pharmacy. I was a member of the Georgia State Legislature for 10 years five years in the House, five years in the Senate, and very active in pharmacy legislation, as you would quite imagine. Well, you know, we would pass really good legislation, really good state laws, but it would always fall back on ERISA. Mm -hmm. The only, the, the only um, groups that our laws that we pass to, to, to kind of um, deter PBMs and to control PBMs would only apply to the state health benefit program that the state itself um, uh, uh, ran. And it wouldn't apply because of ERISA, it wouldn't apply to the private plans. Well, Rutledge versus PCMA changed all that. And that's where I, I, I agree with Matt. And I thank him for bringing that up. The states have a big role now. Mm -hmm. They can do a lot more. 
than they could before this this decision. And I, I just, um, you know, I, I think it was a, a momentous time, if you will, in in our profession whenever that um, whenever that happened, because ERISA was really, really just halting everything we were trying to do. So that that's one point I want to make. And also um, the Grassley bill is a good bill. And we've been working with Senator Grassley for many years on this. He's taken a, a active interest in this and and been a true champion for us in pharmacy. And, and you know, I say in pharmacy and I really shouldn't describe it as that because what he's been a true champion for is for patient care. Yeah. Let's always keep in mind, you know, even though we we understand more so than others, the impact that it has on pharmacy, this is about the patient. Yes. Ultimately, it's about the patient, whether it be in lower prescription costs or making sure that independent retail pharmacists remain viable and sustainable uh, in order to provide care to patients. It's about the patient. So kudos to, to Senator Grassley again. We've we've worked with him on parts of this bill over the years. And, and now he, he's kind of brought everything together. So we're, we're definitely gonna be supporting that and trying to work and maybe tweak it a little bit and do the best we can with it. But it's, um, it's a good piece of legislation that's gonna help us as well. Matt and Buddy, I'm gonna ask both of you to comment on this. We're fighting this gargantuan multi-billion dollar giant we're fighting them on their turf because they've they've been good at designing ways to generate profits based on doing very little and then repeat, repeat, repeat. We've heard shout outs from several, particularly one uh, national uh, pharmacy, um, big box pharmacy that said they have record profits that they just stated came out um, not even a month ago. And, and it was very irritating to hear that type of celebration. And on one side, I celebrate with them because it is a celebration of pharmacy stepping up and getting us through this pandemic. The most accessible healthcare providers are our pharmacies, which is great. But then the profit side of this attached back to why it was profitable goes back to this, this mechanism and this engine that we're in. So if I'm standing toe-to-toe, NCPA, for example, with this gargantuan organization, and we're fighting for um, reimbursement to keep community pharmacies alive, we're also fighting for the taxpayer, the patient, the consumer, because that Medicaid money is not being spent in the best way that it could be being spent. I want to say something to both of you, and that is, let's not fight the giant at the status quo. Let's not fight them on prescription fee, prescription fee, prescription fee, because that's the old way. Let's fight them in services that are being paid to the NPI number that's attached to the pharmacist to do things that may have nothing to do with a medication, but have everything to do with the condition that that patient is in in combining the medication and or medications, which is usually the case, especially with chronic patients. But now let's we're moving uh, to a, a business model that's gonna be much harder for a PBM to fight against, where it's the individual pharmacist giving services to the patient for outcomes and for services that are attached to the patient's condition. I'm going to give this one to Buddy first, but let's talk about a shift in how we're paying pharmacies and how we're paying pharmacists 
for the services that pro they're providing to a patient? Well, that's a good point. And, and I want to dovetail that with, um, I mentioned earlier about the outstanding role pharmacists have played during this pandemic with, uh, with the vaccinations, with testing, with consulting, all of that's in, in very important. We need to make sure that that continues on. And that's one of our goals. And that's why I have introduced legislation um, uh, about provider status. And I know provider status has, has been around for a while, but no better time for us to really stress it than right now, right after we have proven we, and the proof's in the pudding, and, and we have proven our worth during this pandemic. Now's the time for us to make provider status happen and for pharmacists to be reimbursed for the consultation that they are essentially giving for free right now. Yep. That needs to happen. And I, I'm, I'm very... Um, I'm very bullish on on what on the on on the future of that legislation and what we'll be able to achieve. But you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things that um, we we talked a lot about the rebates and the rebates that are paid by the pharmaceutical um, by by the pharmaceutical manufacturers to the third parties. First of all, they need to stop. That, that would be one of the solutions. No more rebates. No more rebates. And if there are rebates, we've talked about, oh, let's have them at point of sale. Well, you know, you can't convince me that that's going to be, that the PBMs are going to do that. First of all, they're not going to have any incentive to, to negotiate any, any, um, any rebates if they're just passing them along. Their incentive right now is to pocket them. So we just need to do away with the rebates. I, I can remember when I started practicing pharmacy and, and granted, I'm an old guy. We used to buy straight from the pharmaceutical manufacturer. There was no, uh, there was no PBM. There, or there was, but they didn't, they weren't in the role. They didn't serve as the role that they serve in now. There was no group purchasing organization. There was, you know, there, there was, yeah, we had a wholesaler, but we, and we would pick up things from the wholesaler that we needed, but we primarily just bought directly from the pharmaceutical manufacturer. I can remember getting just boxes of medications in every other day from the pharmaceutical manufacturers, buying them direct. And that's what needs to happen. We need to cut out these rebates totally. We don't even need them at point of sale. We just don't need them, period. And we need to pass a law that says that that PBMs cannot own pharmacies because this steering that's going on, particularly as you mentioned, Todd, about patients and, and not being able to get their medications, the oncology association, the, the, um, the oncologists are really struggling with this now because they are the insurance companies are steering these patients to their specialty pharmacies and they're making them wait. And uh, we, we heard earlier this week in Congress, we had the Oncology Association uh, sponsored a, a forum for us. And we had a, an oncologist from Texas who was describing how she had a patient who had to wait three weeks. You know, if you're diagnosed with cancer, you want whatever you can get as soon as possible. But this patient had to wait three weeks before she could get the medication to get started on the therapy. That's not good patient care. That's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Um, Matt, I mean, you've heard these stories so many times from the members that, that you serve and pharmacy owners out there. Elaborate on where we're at with reimbursement per prescription and how we're, we're really pushing to move it to a service-oriented 
condition-oriented outcomes-oriented payment model and, and the NCPA's stance on that too? Yeah, I mean, I this is a little bit, I mean, just setting aside the, the flow of the podcast here real quick, this is a little bit outside of my daily way, to be honest with you, Todd. But okay. um, in terms of an answer for the, the um, podcast, you know, I would say that NCPA's position is that we need to look at um, a reimbursement model that takes into account NADAC plus uh, a fee for service, as, as Buddy described. Um, you know, when I think of this uh, from my own personal perspective, I was a nurse before I went to law school. So when I hear of all these things, um, examples like Congressman Carter just gave of a, you know, a patient coming in and not being able to get access to their medications for three weeks. I mean, do you think we would really tolerate, um, you know, going into a hospital and they'll say, you know, you're not going to get any nursing care for the next three weeks. Um, you're not going to get any physician care for the next three weeks. I don't think people would really tolerate that. And yet we're, we're as a society, allowing that to happen with respect to getting access to medications that are readily available. Um, and the whole reason behind that are PBMs. PBMs are the cause for that delay in, get, in that patient getting medication. It's not because the manufacturer is not manufacturing it. It's not because the insurance company can't pay for it. It's because the PBM wants, for some reason, to make people wait. And we need to figure that out. Um, and we need to compensate pharmacies in a way that keeps pharmacies open so that when you're in one of those areas that if your local pharmacy closes, then you're going to be in a pharmacy desert, then you're not going to have access to care, period. Um, and then what does that do to our overall cost of the uh, healthcare for our healthcare system? It's going to increase those costs. So, you know, for me, I think we got to look at a big picture. Sure, there's a lot of issues here um, that we need to address, uh, but I think getting fair compensation for independent pharmacies, uh, I think, is going to be key. And one thing that I would note, too, is that with the new changes in the CMS rule, um, I think it's important for members to continue to let CMS and the FTC know about the new uh, contracts that are being offered by the PBMs that, you know, from what I understand, are reimbursing way below what it costs to even acquire the medication. And that doesn't even take into account the loss on the ability to actually serve the, the patient um, and not get compensated for it. So I think that's that's something that we really need to do um, as, a, as an organization um, and as our members collectively. So education of the policy makers and the and the state politicians even your um your uh, attorney general's office the education that they have and understanding what impact this is what in how this impacts their constituents how it impacts their own communities is so important uh, buddy you are a big supporter of tours setting up tours to take your your congressman to take your congresswoman, to take your politicians through your operations and physically show them what you do and the complexities of pharmacy. This is community pharmacy, long-term care pharmacy specialty. Would you give some advice to our listeners of how to set that up? And 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 you're you're in you're in the inner circle. So how best to reach out to them and make it um, appealing and interesting uh, to those to those policymakers? 
Well, that's a great point, and thank you for bringing that up, because it is important. It's important that you invite members of Congress to your practice setting. Let them see the value that you bring to healthcare because you do bring value to healthcare. A lot of pharmacists, and I even caught myself in this in in this zone at times where I just you know you 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 started doing this routine stuff and you thought, oh, this is not really helping at all, but but it is helping patients and you are helping patients. You are a valuable member of the healthcare team and you are bringing value to healthcare. You need to invite your member of Congress to your practice setting. Let them see, let them talk to some of your patients let, and encourage your patients to call members of, pharma, of, of Congress and let them know how they depend on you. And, and they do depend on you. I think we sell ourselves short oftentimes by by not realizing and recognizing just how valuable um, we are to people's health care. We are fixing, we are fixing to, um, during the month of August, we will be out. We'll be out the entire month of August. We'll also be out the entire month of October because it's a midterm election year. Those are great times to get in touch with your member of Congress. Invite them. Hey, come to, you know, can you come one afternoon, invite some patients and let the let them talk to their patients and tell them the story about how I brought the prescription over here to this, to my pharmacy where I've been using this pharmacy for umpteen years. And they told me they had to call the insurance company to get a prior approval. Well, three days later, I came back and got my medication after it had been approved or it got it was not approved and we had to switch it to something else and, you know, make them, let them understand because a lot of times we're so inside baseball. We think that members of Congress understand it. Well, they don't, they, they just, you know, they have been a patient. Many of them have been a patient themselves. And if they've experienced it, and there are good examples out there where um, we've got members of Congress. I have them up all the time. Come to me, trust me on this. You know, I went to the farms the other day and I couldn't get my wife's prescription because they had to call that insurance company and get a prior approval. And, and why don't you do something about it? I've been trying to do something about it ever since I've been up here. So it, it, that's the key. And, and I can tell you, it makes a difference. It, it makes a tremendous difference. It does make a difference. Reach out to their offices, talk with their coordination teams, their marketing teams. Ask them if they'd like the local paper to be part of this tour. Ask them, say, hey, listen, we want to do a tour on medication adherence. We want to show you the technology we use. We want to show you our packaging systems. We want to show you how we're caring for our patients. And we also want to describe to you and educate you how uh, PBMs and the current status of our payment systems are prohibiting me, the healthcare provider in my community, from delivering the services that our community needs, our diabetics, our um, people that are are, are are on pain medications. I mean, there's a whole way to get them to pay attention because almost every aspect of healthcare leads back to a pharmacy being involved, a pharmacist being involved and take advantage of that, of that like Buddy said. And also I wanna give a, um, a hard, uh, a tough love shout out right now to the listeners. If you are not supporting your Congress people with what they go through because they're human beings and they have just as many um, uh, obstacles to their life as we do, 
Um, if you are not supporting them, you need to start supporting them and getting them involved. This is not a, a partisan issue. I'm so proud of Senator uh, Chuck Grassley involving Senator Maria Cantwell, a uh, Democrat and Republican coming together to get this done for our, um, for our nation. The NCPA is in the exact same realm. It doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat, that's not the purpose. The purpose is our community, our community health. If you are not a member, if you are a community pharmacy or a, or a technician or even a student pharmacist that you wanna go into community, we have to at this point with as close as we are to true PBM reform, we have to support the National Community Pharmacists Association. If you're not a member, I want you to go onto their website right now and I want you to join the NCPA. I want you to get involved at some capacity. There are chapters at your, at your state level. The national conference is coming up in uh, early October. Um, Matt, can you give our listeners a little bit of simplistic information of how to get the NCPA involved to help your specific community pharmacy? Because guess what? Let's tell the, I'm going to just come out and say this. I know it. Many of our community pharmacists have lost hope and they've said, I was a member of the NCPA for years and they just didn't do anything for me. Well, A, that's not the truth because there's lots of things happening behind the scenes, but B, we're in a new age. We are in a completely new age of pharmacy transformation. Matt, I'm going to give it to you to kind of close this out today. Yeah, thank you, Todd um, and Congressman Carter. It's been a really interesting discussion. Um, you know, first I wanted to say thanks to the support of all of our members and bringing to light all the anti-competitive activities of the PBMs. Um, our members are the key to bringing these issues to the forefront of CMS's work, you know, your state AG's work and the FTC's work. Um, and I invite non-members listening uh, to consider getting involved if you're not already. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, NCPA uh, does is we do congressional flyings. And this year we are doing um, really a, a little, in a little bit different way. We're supporting um, our members who want to bring uh, members of Congress to their pharmacies. Uh, so you can go to our website um, and, uh, well, you can Google or go to our website, uh, NCPA's Congressional Pharmacy Fly-In. Um, and it'll bring you to a landing page that describes all the things that we'll do to support you in that effort. Um, you know, without members of Congress really understanding all of the issues, um, you know, we're not going to get the, the necessary legislation passed. So we have to keep the drumbeat going. Uh, we have to let them know all of the issues that your patients are seeing, what you're seeing from a, a competition perspective when trying to compete with those vertically integrated insurance companies and pharmacies and PBMs. Um, it just is something that, you know, especially now with the uh, new Congress coming in soon, educating any new members on those issues, I think will also be vitally important. Um, buddy, I know what it might be like to be a brand new um, uh, servant of the public. If you, if you join United States Congress, I can imagine how overwhelming it is for a new um, representative, and you probably obviously remember that. Um, and and there was always been politics and being a community pharmacy owner. If you have younger Congress men and women that are out there serving their communities, and you want to listen to the PBM Reform podcasts, it's a collection of over twenty interviews 
with people like Buddy Carter, um, other state representatives, uh, people that have been in the pharmacy industry for years that come at it from a very policy-driven discussion perspective, including the NCPA participating. So this is part of an ongoing way that our communications really dig into the issue and get this information out where you can easily consume it, walking, jogging, chopping vegetables, driving in your car, listen to these shows and share these shows. Reach out to Buddy Carter through LinkedIn or through his website. Please reach out to the NCPA and support that organization. Buddy, in closing today, I want you to give um, an ending statement to our community pharmacy owners, as well as your state, great state of Georgia. I want to thank you for your work, and um, we got to have you back. We love having you here. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it very much. I want to, again, thank everyone for your grassroots advocacy. That has made the difference, and, and this could not have happened had it not been, and it's, it's, and again, we got a lot more work to do. Don't think it's over by any stretch of imagination. Yeah, we're making progress, but we would have never gotten this far had it not been for your advocacy. And it's your advocacy that is helping patients because that that's, you know, everybody thinks, oh, they're just trying to make a bunch of money. No, we, we, you care about your patients and you want to make sure that, that they get good care and that, that healthcare is accessible and affordable in our country. That is our whole goal here. So thank you for your advocacy. Thank you for making sure that you're, you're uh, in educating members of Congress because they need it and they want it. You know, look, everybody asked me, what's the most surprising thing you've ever you've um, discovered since you became a member of Congress? The most surprising thing is there are a lot of good people in Congress who are there for the right reason. We want to move this country forward and they want to do the right thing. So that's why you can help them and, and they will appreciate it very much. So thank you for your advocacy on behalf of our profession, but mostly on behalf of our patients. Thank you, pharmacists. Thank you, pharmacy technicians, the right hand of our pharmacy technicians uh, or our pharmacists that are working out there. Thanks for listening. Please share these shows. Um, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast if we can ever do anything for you or your state organization. If you have a Congress, um, uh, if you have someone in Congress that you know that they uh, would like to use this as their platform to get information out, please do so. We would love to have them on. Um, Matt, thank you for joining us, uh, buddy. Thank you so much for being here, and we can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.